Amen, church. Well, you guys can be seated. And um, I'm excited about continuing through the book of Luke. If you guys have a Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 is where we are, and uh, we're a little bit short on time because we had a whole bunch of stuff that I don't know if you're aware of. Uh, we had our kids sing with us um, just a minute ago, um, and we had a, uh, an exciting time, um, obviously, experiencing that with them. But we got to get right into it. Um, but I am so excited about what the Lord's going to do. While you're turning there, uh, if you guys know, we've been memorizing through books of the Bible? Has everyone been practicing? Yeah? All right. Listen, even if you're a guest, we're requiring you to uh, recite it, okay? Just kidding. Here we go. Ready? All the way through Esther, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Good job. Give yourselves a round of applause. A little bit more. You guys deserve more than that. Okay, good job. So now what we're adding this week is three of them, okay? Say these with me. Job's, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Ready? Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Say it again. Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Say it again. All right. JPP. Yeah, you know those three. All right. That was like the corniest thing ever. Here we go. All right. Ready? We're going to do all of these all the way through, uh, all the way to Proverbs. Ready? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. All right. Good job, everybody. Well, I'm excited about today as we look into this. Um, it's just the Lord's providence that as we light the candle of preparation in our Advent wreath that today would be indeed about preparation. Preparation for what? Preparation to receive the coming Messiah. In Luke chapter 1, what we're going to see in our next verses today as we're just walking through this book, that's our sermon series, we're walking through the book of Luke, is that God is doing a preparatory work for the coming of his son. Jesus is coming. God is preparing the way. Miracles are happening. Prophets are coming to make ready the people of God to listen, to receive the Christ, to believe in his name, to take him as their own. John, we're going to see, is predicted here to come to do what? To prepare the hearts of people to receive Jesus, to cultivate the soil of our hearts, of their hearts, the people of God who have turned away to make them ready to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Christ comes to earth, God sends John to prepare Prepare this way, and we're going to see this prediction of it. And listen, before we get into it, let me tell you that God is still doing this preparatory work in the hearts of his people. God wants to prepare your heart today. He wants to use his word to cultivate the soil of your heart so that you're prepared to receive Christ Jesus. You say, well, I've already received Christ Jesus. Well, do you wake up every morning ready to receive his work in your life again? Not that it's salvific, again, because once you come to know Jesus, you're in, right? You know the Lord, you're following him, but do you wake up every day with the soil of your heart prepared to receive the seeds of his word and the seeds of the gospel in a day that says, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. 
Is that the soil, is that the condition of your heart on a daily basis? I think God in this moment, even as he was doing with John, and we're gonna see this, this word about the coming of John, was preparing the soil of the people's hearts for the receiving of his son. So God wants to use his word today to prepare our hearts to receive the word or to receive his good news in our hearts once again that it would bear fruit. But listen, church, maybe there are some people in here today and don't know Jesus. And I wanna tell you that during this Christmas season, God is doing the same work. He is wanting your heart to be softened so that your eyes would be open and you would see the glory of his son Jesus who came to earth to die for your sins. And that today you would trust in him, maybe for the very first time, to come and have eternal life to be with him forever. So listen, church, today God is cultivating the soil in our hearts to receive the Lord Jesus and also preparing us to be those who, like John, would go out and cultivate the hearts of others who would receive the, the seeds of the gospel. So let's pray, let's ask God's blessing. Before we read and we start this narrative that we're about to read, we're gonna read verses five through 25. This is kind of the narrative starting, the storyline has started, we got the introduction last week. The story starting, we're gonna read it, we're gonna see three points to this, and we're gonna have some application amidst those points, and then we're gonna be out of here, but God wants to do work in our hearts. So let's pray and ask that he would do this. You ready? Father, we come before you today, <clears throat> And God, I think the main point of this is that you had sent John, you were sending John, you were preparing to send John to, cultivate, to help cultivate the hearts of the people that you loved so that they would be ready, they would turn back to you, they would repent, they would look to you, their hearts would be soft, their shame wouldn't cover them, and that they would be ready to receive Christ Jesus the King, so that when he came to earth, they wouldn't be unaware of what he came to do. God, even though they didn't understand fully, we know that John was preparing the way for them to understand fully. And God, I pray that the people in this room today, the main point that we would walk away with today is that we would be people who are prepared, who are ready. The soil of our hearts is ready every day to receive your word that the seeds of your word would go down deep, the seeds of the gospel, even as believers, just to strengthen us, to uphold us, so that we'd bring glory to you, and then for those who maybe don't know you, that their hearts would be prepared to receive Christ, maybe for the first time. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You guys can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter one. If you're not there already, I'm reading for the NASB, and I told you we're moving fast, so here we go. Ready, starting in verse five. Stay with me, okay? Starting in verse five all the way to 25, and we're gonna stay here the entire time, okay? Ready? In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abia, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blameless in all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. 
Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter uh, uh, the temple of the Lord and burn incense, right? So here's Zechariah, he's here, he's ready, he's chosen, he's going into the temple to burn incense before the Lord, right? And here's what we see, verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were outside this temple and they were praying at the hour of the the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. That's his proximity to him. Zacharias, Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this for certain? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you should be silent, unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in the proper time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and were wondering in, at his delay in the, te- in the temple. He took longer than normal, longer than expected, right? And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. <clears throat> and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. In those days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Incredible passage. What is going on, and how is it relevant to us? We're going to see that as we walk through it. Ready? Three points. Very simple today. Three categorizing points that will help you understand kind of the breakup of this story, but it's clear um, within it how we can learn from this um, ourselves. Ready? The first of what we see in this passage is the setting and the situation of God's servants. The first thing that we see in this passage is the setting and the situation of God's servants. That's what we see here in verses five through seven. This is, the, this is what happens. When we look at this, we say, what does it say? What does it mean? How can it apply? What's taking place? Who are Zechariah and Elizabeth? What's their situation? Why is this take, taking place, and how can this help us? Well, we can't go through all of this. There is so much information packed in this and so much background that it's hard for us to do in a short amount of time, but we're going to try to just cover a little bit of it. Ready? Herod the Great. It says in verse 7, ready? In the days of who? Herod. So that gives us the timeline. 
that gives us the setting, that gives us an, a time of th- this is really taking place in history, okay? This is not just fictitious, like this is actually happening in history. There was an actual ruler named Herod the Great, okay? And this is what the time was that this all was taking place, Herod. And he, his father was the overseer of Judea, and he was appointed governor of Galilee when he was 25. His father was murdered. Herod took his place. He was supported strongly by the Rome, and you guys know that Rome was like the, the superpower of the world at that time, and so even the Jewish people were under Roman rule. They were free to do their religious uh, acts and to abide by their law, um, so long as it did not offend the Roman law. And so now Herod, supported by Rome, Herod, Herod goes in, he the, becomes the ruler of Judea, his father dies, but they try to push him out, they want him out, no Jewish support, right? But they succeeded in doing so, although after they succeeded in doing so, eventually Herod succeeded in coming back. So now he's the king of Judea, and uh, there's a lot, of pre- a lot of things written about Herod. You could go back and read this. Very interesting and very easy to find if you want to read about Herod the Great, but it's, it's ironic because here's the deal. He was hated by the Jews. They pushed him out. Then he came back in. He was an atrocious leader, extremely paranoid that someone was going to take his rule, but at the same time, during his rule, like he also gained favor with the Jewish people, and so there was a time of, of prosperity and peace because of his ruling with an iron fist, right? No one was kind of getting out of line. There's even stories of him being so paranoid that he would kill his own sons and his favorite wife, his favorite wife, okay? Not just his wife, his favorite wife. He killed her as well as his sons. So ironically, this is like a, a, a unique situation with this ruler and, and really not unique in the fact that there's been a ton of bad rulers up until this point. But if you want to know like what this is telling us, it's telling us that this was a very unstable time in the life of the Jewish people. The Jewish leadership was unstable. It was unstable. And they're here. This is the time, right? And so what we see, because we don't have time to go into greater detail, is during this time of Herod, there was also a priest. And what was the priest's name? What is it? Zechariah, and his name means Yahweh has remembered, and it's fitting because that's exactly what we're going to see take place in this instance. So he was a priest, right? And in what we see in 1 Chronicles 24, if you want to get all this background, that David divided these priests into divisions. There were 24 of them um, after the exile. If you know, only four of them returned, but then they were subdivided again. So now that there were 24, and their duty was to intercede on behalf of the people in the temple. And so now, here in this passage, we see the Zechariah, and this is his duty to rotate, to be on a roster, to intercede for the people within the temple, okay? So that's what's taking place here, and they would do it each division twice per year. But within these divisions, there were thousands of people, okay? So like many priests never had the opportunity ever of going into the temple themselves and actually doing this physically, being, being the, the actual person who gets in here, right, into the temple. So what we see is now now this, this, uh, this priest, Zechariah, he also had a wife, and his wife's name was Elizabeth, right? And we see that she was the daughter of, or from the family line of Aaron, who was also a priest, right? So what we see now is that this is a special, special family, because in this instant, there's an unstable leader, there's an unstable leader, and there's a special family, 
Those are two things that we learned so far. An unstable leader, a special family. That's the time that this is happening. And then what we read in verse six, stay with me, look at your Bible, okay? Is that they were righteous in the sight of God and they were walking blameless. Now what does that mean? Because we know that no one is made righteous before God except through the blood of Christ. So were they actually righteous? Were they actually blameless? Well, we see a lot in the Old Testament, specifically uh, Psalm chapter 18. You can look there. David even uh, pleads his case before God or recounts God saving him from a, from a battle. And he says, it was because I was blameless, because I was righteous. We see that in the Old Testament, even prior to Jesus coming and dying. But that doesn't mean that they were perfect, right? That doesn't mean they were sinless because we are only made righteous and blameless before God through Christ. And Christ hadn't done his work yet. So what does this mean? It means that they were faithful. So now, here's this unstable leader, unstable environment, special people, and faithful servants that are serving God in this way. This is what we learn about these people. Now, in this particular instance, what we see is that they were faithful to the law. They were faithful to the law and all the requirements of the Lord. Verse 7, but... Now, this connection is important. The but is important. Why is it important? Because why doesn't it just say unstable environment, unstable nation, unstable rule, faithful servants, abiding by everything, special family, and in addition to all that, they were barren. They couldn't have any kids. It says but because there's some kind of connection there's some kind of association with their blamelessness and yet inability to have children. Because at this time, people believed that the faithfulness of God's people would ensure that they would be blessed with children. And this passage tells us not necessarily, at least up to this point for them. And I know that this is a sensitive subject, but it it requires for just a moment for me to tell you it wasn't because of their unfaithfulness that they were unable to have a child. It wasn't because of their unfaithfulness. It wasn't because of their unfaithfulness that they were suffering in any way. It wasn't because of their unfaithfulness that they were suffering and waiting. It was just because God somehow had a plan to weave their story and their suffering into the overall picture of bringing glory to his son, Jesus. And that's what God does for us. He's weaving their story into saving the world from their sins no matter their suffering, no matter their waiting, and God is doing the same for us, no matter your suffering, no matter your waiting, lest you be paralyzed by the fact that all of your waiting and all of your suffering is due to your unfaithfulness, God might just be weaving your waiting and your suffering into the story of bringing glory to his son Jesus and saving the world from their sins. So, no doubt this made their childless state hard, but they were faithful. They were faithful, and what's in more incredible about their faithfulness is that they were faithful even in the fact, even with, in light of the fact that they, were, they had no children and they were old, okay? So here's the deal. They had, like, priests didn't retire, 
Okay, at this, in this category, these priests didn't retire. So Zechariah was pretty old. They were being faithful. They had unhealthy leadership, yet they were faithful servants. They were a special family, no child. And at the same time, they didn't plan on having any children because they were advanced in years. Like remember Abram and Sarai or Abraham and Sarah, right? In the same type of situation. And so what we see here is that just as God was doing a miracle or did a miracle in Abraham and Sarah's life, he was about to do one in theirs. And all we see here, listen, is there's not even like, uh, this is just informative for the next portion of this text, but we can learn from this because what we see are the servants and the situation. And what we glean from this is that they existed, their situation existed, God was setting the scene, their suffering existed, Everything was happening to draw attention to the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Every part of their life was being set up to do this. And God heard their cries, was about to hear their cries. God loves them. We see this in the next portion. God, we see them live lives of faithfulness in his grace. And God is about to sovereignly choose them to, to, be, uh, to assist in glorifying his son. And listen, what we can learn for our own lives is this. Your life, your situation, your setting exists to draw attention to the glory of God. That's what your life is about too. In whatever situation or setting you find yourself in, God plans to weave your story into the larger story of bringing glory to Christ, of seeing sinners come to repentance and being saved from their sins. Your suffering, your waiting is not pointless. It's not without purpose. He wants to weave it into his story of pointing the world to his son, just as he was doing here. We also see that God heard their cries or were about to see it, that God loves them. We also know that they were living faithful lives to God. Listen, they were living faithful lives to God in light of or the awareness of that God had not answered their prayers yet. And God in his grace, we see in this passage, chose them to be part of his plan of glorifying his son. So maybe what's some instruction that we can take from this first section? Well, here's my instruction, my encouragement to you. Keep crying out to God. God has a plan. Live faithfully in whatever place God has you, regardless of unanswered prayers and unfulfilled desires. The story's not over yet of your life. Know that in all of this, God is working, working in a way that doesn't just terminate on you, like I'm working in your suffering and in your waiting to bring you glory. No, 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 it's not just for that simple purpose. It's for the fact that he wants to weave your story into the larger story of glorifying his son and seeing sinners come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so God's not done yet. Did Elizabeth experience a desire of her heart? We're about to see that she does. Did God hear the cry? We're about to see that he did. But the point here is that God was sovereignly choosing them, this family, to play a significant role in people receiving his son Jesus. And he's doing the same in your life. So the first situation, I mean the first point that we see is the setting and the situation of God's servants. The second point that we see in our passage is the miracle and the ministry of John the Baptist. Stay with me, I'm moving fast, okay? The miracle and the ministry of John the Baptist. This is what we see in verses eight through 17. I'd read them for you again, but we're short on time, okay? The more I say that, the less time we're gonna have. But I gotta tell you, 
So here's what we see in this portion, right? We see the encounter with the angel. The angel comes, the forecast of Michael regarding John, Zechariah's response, the consequence of his doubting, the encounter. Gabriel's got two assignments. You know Gabriel like you heard of him before? Gabriel, he's got two assignments. Like, can you imagine when God called Gabriel and said, all right, listen, like, head archangel, let me just tell you something. Like, you got two main assignments, bro, okay? The first is I want you to go and visit Zechariah, and then when you're done, go tell Mary, okay? Because we're about to get this thing started, okay? So now Gabriel's on mission one, and then he's going to go to Mary and say, listen, you're, you're gonna, about to conceive, and that's the son of of God, okay? So this is his first, his first stop, okay, to see Zechariah. What happens? Well, this was probably the greatest moment of Zechariah's life, okay? Because not only was he in these divisions of priests, but he was chosen by lot. Now, you know by lot, it's almost like, let's just call it drawing straws, okay? What they believed is if you get the short straw, God designed that you would get the short straw, okay? And so they believe that that's a way of like deciphering God's will. Well, he got the short straw, okay? Out of all of the people, he got the short straw. He goes into the temple. This is the greatest moment of his life. Many would never receive this honor in all of their lives, even if they were uh, uh, priests, okay? So he goes into this. The, the multitude of people, verse 9, are outside waiting for him, and the angel of the Lord appears to him. And I love what the NASB says. When he saw him, fear gripped him. He's gripped by fear. Because Michael is there. But Michael's news to him is not bad news. It's good news. He says this. He says, your prayer has been heard. And what's interesting about this is that this tense alludes to a specific prayer in the moment. So were they probably continuing to, pr continuing to pray for a child? Probably. But listen, He's probably alluding to a specific prayer in the moment. So what was he praying in the moment? Well, it would be probably inappropriate for a priest to stand there at the altar and to say, God, please provide us a child, right? He's interceding on behalf of the people of Israel. Right? So what was he probably praying in this moment? Well, Zechariah was probably praying in this moment for the redemption of Israel. And the angel comes, and he says, I've heard your prayer, and I'm going to answer. And so what we see here is he tells him about his son, and he says this, you're going to have a son, not only a child, but also a son, and this son, you will have joy and gladness from your son, but not only will you have joy and gladness, but many people will rejoice at his birth, right? And what we see is he's talking about John, his son, who's going to come, that, that Zechariah and Elizabeth will rejoice because of the angel telling them this news, and once they see this son come, that they will rejoice because of the faithfulness and the love of God, but many also other people will rejoice at his birth. Why? Because of what he came to do. Because of what he came to do. It says in verse 15, here's the reason, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor. Does that mean that you can't be great if you don't, if you drink wine or liquor? No, this would be a, taking this out of context, but this probably alludes to his 
job description and role, which pointed to kind of like a priestly role and a, and a Nazarite role, which is whether or not he was uh, either one of those things in particular, like considered that, um, that he was his role pointed to those things. And so they had a unique set of requirements in that way. And so listen, he was going to be filled most importantly with what? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was going to empower John to do something very, very specific, to prepare the hearts of people to receive the Lord Jesus. Here's what it says. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Well, what does that mean? Listen, there's a lot to go here. There's Malachi chapter four, Malachi chapter three. Jesus equates John the Baptist to this coming Elijah, Luke 7, 27. You can go and read that on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Uh, he tells his, his disciples that Elijah had already come, referring to John the Baptist. But here's what it's all referring to. John's association with Elijah was based on the fact that he would have similar power and a similar message, right? And so here's what he's saying, that this John is going to come with a similar power and a similar message. And here's what he's going to do. Listen, ready? He's going to, verse 17, make ready the people. Make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now listen, all of this, all of this is God's preparation prior to his son coming to earth. He was sending John to prepare the hearts of people so that they would receive Jesus as Lord when he came. And listen, God wants our hearts to be prepared to receive Jesus as well. And God wants our hearts to be in a constant state of being prepared, thereby ready to receive him and his truth on a daily basis. I think this idea of preparation is so important. God was doing a preparatory work, not just sending his son out of nowhere. He had already foretold it, but now John is even more specifically going to help the people of God be prepared to receive his son. Listen, and here's what the, the greatest challenge for you today is, are you prepared to receive Jesus as Lord? Is your heart, is the soil of your heart cultivated to where the seeds of the gospel and the seeds of the word of God come in and produce fruit. That's why John came, to prepare the hearts of people. And listen, what's so, so challenging for us is that the gospel isn't just for us to be saved, like once and done, and now the gospel is irrelevant to my life. The gospel is continually at work in the lives of believers. That Jesus came, that he was God in the beginning, and he came to earth to become man. Why did he have to become man? Because he needed to die. But he also needed to be God because in that one moment, in that one instance, he paid for an eternity of sins. In the one instant. So he was fully God and he was fully man. And God to live a perfect life and man to die on behalf of man. And so then, as he comes to earth, he does live this perfect life. He goes to the cross. The Father turns his face away. All of the wrath of God was upon his Son to pay for your sin so that you wouldn't have to pay for it anymore. Then he rises from the dead to overcome your sin so that when you trust in his work that he accomplished on the cross, that you would come into saving faith, trusting in his merit to 
to cancel the debt of your sins, that you would come into the family of God, trusting in him, you would come into the family of God and be saved for all of eternity, being with God, being in a relationship with God. And this was, John was coming to do to prepare this so that people would be ready to receive this message, this gospel message. But listen, not only should we be ready to receive this for a first time, not should we, we just like trust in this and then it's all over, like God wants our hearts to be cultivated on a regular basis, ready. And so let me just ask you some of this because I'm gonna skip over a bunch for the sake of time, but listen, is your heart constantly prepared daily to receive his word? Is your heart constantly ready on a daily basis to receive the seeds of the gospel? Do you receive that on a regular basis? When you wake up in the morning, is your heart hard? Is it like hard, rocky soil that even if the gospel, the seeds of the gospel would come in like you would hear it or you would read God's word, it kind of just bounces off, right? Or like do you wake up in the morning and that seed is able to take root and to produce fruit in your life? There's a lot of things that make that soil rocky. Sin for the life of the believer, sin will make that soil of your heart really, really tough and rocky so that even God's word will come and just kind of bounce off, won't produce any fruit. We see distraction will do that. Maybe like my days are filled with my phone and my iPad and busyness. No wonder my heart is, is hard, right? Or we see also in infrequency and in looking at God's word, infrequency and in being on a Sunday morning with other believers, Bitterness, there's a lot of things that will make that soil rocky and tough. And I think God, in his grace, would say to you, cultivate the soil of your heart. Make it always ready to receive the gospel and the word of God that it would produce fruit in your life. Number three, and lastly in our passage, because we're just well out of time. What we see is the fulfillment and the faithfulness of God. The fulfillment and the faithfulness of God. In this passage, what we see in this last section is that everything that the angel says and everything that God had planned is coming to pass. It's coming true. God is faithful here. It's having its effect, right? In the Old Testament, Malachi 3, he said he was gonna send his messenger. His messenger's coming. When his meeting, when Zechariah met with Michael, the, the angel, in the temple, he said, you're gonna have a baby, and we see that Elizabeth is conceiving, right? She's having a, a child, she's conceived, she's having a baby. What we also see is that the angel says, you're gonna be mute, and you're not gonna talk till this comes to pass, and what happens? He's mute. And so from the time of this, what we see also is that as he comes out, he's mute, he starts telling people with signs what John was going to do when he came, and people's hearts, no doubt, from seeing this, witnessing that he saw a vision, where their hearts were already being prepared, like God is doing something right now. And so there, he was even fulfilling, God was even faithful to fulfill what John's purpose was, even from inside the womb or before he was born, that he would prepare hearts. And so my encouragement to you in this last section here is this, is to believe that God is faithful. God is faithful to fulfill his promises. And this is seen clearly. This is seen clearly in the story of him sending his son Jesus to earth and even in the preparation time of him sending John to prepare the way. So church, listen. We see the setting, the situation, unstable setting, unstable leadership, special family, chosen by God, 
to be part of God's bigger plan. Then we see that John's purpose in coming was to prepare the way, to help people's hearts be prepared to receive Christ. And I think that beckons us to ask the question, is my heart, is the soil of my heart ready to receive the gospel on a daily basis? And last but not least, what we see is God's promise come to pass. He was faithful, he was faithful, and he fulfilled all that he said he would. During this Christmas season, I think these truths are important for us to learn and to walk away with. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today, and I pray that you would use my mess and my hurry in our lives so that we would be a people who trust in you, who are waiting and knowing that you are orchestrating all things in our lives to be part of your grand scheme, your grand plan, to glorify your son. I also pray, God, that we would be a people whose hearts would stay ready. Stay ready, our hearts would be prepared. I pray that if there's people in this room who don't know you, have never trusted in Jesus for salvation, that you would indeed prepare their hearts. That they would, their hearts would be um, softened, their eyes would be opened, their minds would understand and perceive, and that they would trust in Jesus, especially during this um, season where, where it's so clear for us as to what you came to do. Also, God, I pray that we would see your faithfulness and your fulfillment of your promises, and so that we would be people who trust in you, because from the days of old, you promised to send a redeemer, and you did. And even in these small ways, you kept your word through your servant Michael, through your servant Zechariah and Elizabeth. We pray your blessings on our lives in Jesus' name. Amen.